All right, guys, you ever have, um, like, you have a presentation to do uh, at school, and, uh, like, you're all prepped, and you are ready, and it's going to be the best thing ever, um, and then you get there, and you start to feel um, sick and awful? Um, that's me tonight, and so just be praying for me uh, as we continue, that, uh, that God would give me um, strength to, to continue and to communicate with you guys what, what's been laid on my heart, too. Um, I do have a confession for you tonight, something that you need to know about me, and, and, and this might shock some of you, um, and so I don't mean to, um, you know, uh, make you think differently of me, but uh, I am what is sometimes called a cusser. Uh, I say some cuss words sometimes. The guys in my small group, yeah, okay, boys. <laughs> um, yeah, hey, thanks, I appreciate that, Corby, yeah, I'm a cusser right there, that's me, I'm David. If this was uh, the Scarlet Letter, mine would have a big C for Cusser. Um, Any Scarlet Letter fans? Anybody get that reference? Yeah, high five. You guys read the assigned reading. Good job. Good for you, ninth graders. Um, The rest of you are slackers. You read the Cliff Notes, didn't you? Goodness. Um, I I do. I struggle with that. Um, When I was in the fifth grade, I had heard, like, some cuss words from, like, family members or maybe, like, in in a TV show or a movie or something. But like little ones, you know, not big ones, not, and, and not like, like together as part of a sentence structure or as like the main part of the sentence structure. <laughs> but then one day in the fifth grade, everything changed. I met this guy named Corey Starkey, and he was real cool, and he cussed all the time. And I thought, I want to be like that guy. So I said, Corey, Corey, how can I be like you? And Corey told me about a little show called South Park. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're a bunch of dirty sinners too, aren't you? Yeah, goodness gracious. Um, yeah, th- this, this little show uh, taught me to cuss. Now, my family um, didn't have, uh, like, cable or dish. We had, uh, I don't know if people still call it this basic cable. Like, we had, like, local channels. Uh, I was real excited when I was in middle school and we got um, what was at the time the WB, it's now the CW, um, that was like big for our family. So I didn't have access to South Park. I couldn't like turn it on. I didn't know when it came on or anything. And this was the late 90s, you guys, so it wasn't, there was no YouTube, didn't exist. Um, that, like, you couldn't like Google video clips. That wasn't a thing people were putting online. Um, and so it wasn't like I could just like had ready access to this. I couldn't just pull it up and look at it whenever I wanted to. I had to wait until I was at the home of friends who had better TV than I did. Uh, you know, they had like TBS and, um, you know, CNN, the channels that were important to me. Um, I, I did not care about ESPN, and I know that's, like, atrocious to some of you, but that was not, a, like, a big thing for me. But they had it, and they also had Comedy Central, which is where South Park aired. And so I would go to my friend's house and be like, guys, let's just, let's just see. Like, let's just turn it on. Let's see. And we would watch South Park, and it was there that I learned... Oh, it can be, like, funny to, like, drop a cuss word in the middle of a sentence and shock some people and get a good laugh. And then I was like, oh, and I could just do, like, three or four in a sentence, like, all together. And that would, like, make people really laugh, and I would sound really cool. And then it was 20 years later, and it was just a part of what I did all the time. Okay, this is how these things happen. Uh, And so, I'm a cusser. I have been, and, and I'm confessing that to you, because a couple weeks ago, uh, maybe two or three weeks ago, before I even knew I was going to be doing this, I had a friend come to me at work and say, hey, we should talk about something. It's a friend who's a believer, goes to this church. It's, it's Brian Ward. He sings up here to you guys on, on Wednesday nights. Um, he said, we should talk about something. I said, great, let's talk. He said, you cuss a lot. 
a lot, like more than anybody else in the office, which is saying something in our office, okay? I'm just going to level with you guys. Uh, and he says, so let's talk about that. So we did. And I said, you know, I, this is actually something that, that I've been thinking about in the last two or three weeks that I felt like, uh, man, I may need to, to really get right with God about this. And Brett is actually not in the room tonight because he is offended that I uh, would listen to his older brother Brian about something going on in my life. Because Brett, to be fair, has told me um, for the last 15 years uh, that I can't walk around and cuss and say whatever I want all the time. Uh, and like I told Brett today, God works in mysterious ways. You've got to wait for the Spirit to move. And for the last 15 years, the Spirit hasn't moved when you've said anything to me. And that's not my fault. That's your fault, honestly. <laughs> Brett needs to get right with God if he wants the Spirit to speak to people through him. I, I had to... <laughs> you okay? <laughs> I had to be ready and right with God to come to me and say, hey, I see this sin in your life. I had to be ready so that I could seek God and say, God, I need to get my heart right with you. I need to figure out what's going on and why I haven't felt conviction about this because um, Scripture is actually pretty clear about it. Um, and, and I've uh, said different things about that from, from time to time. But, but here's another story about... Um, a little cusser. Uh, this is from A History of the First Baptist Church of Brownwood, Texas, 1876 to 1966. First Baptist Church of Brownwood is where I served before I came here uh, to serve at First Baptist Church of Georgetown. And uh, in the 80s or 90s, uh, someone in the church commissioned this little history book of the first hundred or so years of the church. There's this great little excerpt in the front of it, and it says, um, no, not that spot. Hold on. That's the spot where I was in reading it. I got three pages in and slept. Um, this says, although three members were excluded from this church in 1880 to 1881, the first case of discipline of which we have detailed account was in August and September 1884. Brethren A.D. Moss and John W. Goodwin were appointed to look into charges and notify the, attending, the offending brother to be present in church, in church conference. At a called meeting September 10, 1884, the brother was expelled for, somebody say it, yeah, for using, now they're nicer, for using profane language and acting toward his wife in a manner unbecoming of a Christian. The first person ever to be expelled and have a documented record of it from the First Baptist Church of Brownwood in 1884 is because he was a dirty cusser. And so the truth for me and the truth for, for this brother uh, in, in the church in 1884 in Brownwood, Texas, we're kind of snakes in the den. We're people who, who are in the church, who, who know Christ and are, and are trying in most ways to live our lives in the way that Christ has called us. We've got this, this thing that's going on. And when there's a snake in the den, we have to lead with love. When there's a snake in the den, we have to lead with love. Because that kind of thing isn't normal to us, is it? That what happened to me, someone coming to me at work and saying, hey, I need to talk to you about this sin in your life. Anybody, anybody ever had somebody come and, and approach you like that? Okay, a couple of you. But for most of us, we feel weird. And it did feel a little bit weird. Right? Because someone coming to me and, and calling out my sin and, and asking to talk about it and be a part of helping me correct it, that didn't feel like love at first. It felt like somebody being rude to me. It felt like somebody saying, hey, you're wrong and I'm right and, and, and I'm going to show you and tell you why. I think some of that comes from the individualization, there it is, of our faith. 
Right? We have a personal Savior and a personal relationship with Christ. And those things are true. Those things are good. But, but they kind of take that, that um, idea that, that was prevalent in the early culture of, of our country that you know, we're, we're rugged individualists. We do things by ourselves, pull ourselves up by our bootstrap. It's kind of turned into this kind of DIY faith. Right? We do it ourselves. We, we don't need somebody else around us to help us, help us out and growing in our faith. We don't need somebody else around us telling us when we've screwed up, when we've sinned. That's how we feel a lot of times, especially when somebody comes to us and says, this is what's going on. This is sin that I see in your life, and I'd love to come alongside you and be a, be a part of helping to correct it. We have this faith that says, we don't need anybody else to come tell us when we're wrong. God will tell us. The Holy Spirit will convict us. And in fact, who is this other person to come to me and tell me this? Because I know what they do. I know what they say. I know how they live. They're all things that I've said. It's the way I've lived for a long time. Any, anybody else in here tonight, like a little bit or maybe a lot of a cusser? Let me see. Yeah, you're being truthful. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, some non-liars over here. Some other people getting honest. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Some of you liars, keep your hands down. That's okay. The Lord will convict you in time. It may take 15 years, but you'll get there. Guys, the, uh, and, and I don't mean to, to, to harp on that. that. That's just something that, that in the last month or so that God's been doing in my own life. Because there's other things, right? Cheating. Anybody cheat? Some of you are going to like, no, I would never cheat, like on a test or anything. You know, that counts like if you, oh, so yeah, some... Some middle schoolers being honest about cheating on tests back there? Okay, I'm going to call your teachers. Um, and, but, but has anybody ever uh, gotten to class and gone, oh, hey, I didn't do the worksheet. Can I see yours and, and copy your answers? Yeah, there it is. Cheaters! You're all cheaters! Yeah. Has anybody... We, I, I did that in high school once or twice or... A week? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't feel like doing it the night before. I got busy or I forgot or whatever, but that, that's considered cheating. Some like, some like telling a white lie, like you don't give your parent like the full truth about what's going on. When I was in the sixth grade, the first time I got um, before school detention, I told my parents I wanted to go to school early. I was in band. I wanted to go to school early to watch the older band practice. That's right. I was slick. Um, the school calls your parent when you're in the sixth grade and tells them that you got before school detention. And so my parents played along, and then I got grounded extra long because I lied about it. Um, I told them I had to be at school early. I just didn't tell them what for. Um, and I felt like that was okay. Um, so, so little white lies, gossiping. Um, you know, hey, I heard this was going on with so-and-so. Hey, did you, did you see that this happened? Did you know that this happened? Anybody do that? Okay. How about how about drinking or using tobacco underage? Oh. <laughs> hey, Anderson, the, the law of he who smelt it dealt it applies here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the the point the point y'all is that there's things that we all do every day sometimes that, that we wouldn't think of as being sinful. There's little things, little habits that we have, little parts of, of who we are that we wouldn't think of as being sinful. And we certainly wouldn't be we comfortable with somebody 
coming up to us and saying, hey, this is wrong. Hey, God has called you not to do this, not to live this way, not to act this way, not to do this thing. We want to do what we want to do and compartmentalize that and say, well, this doesn't affect my faith life. This doesn't have any bearing on my spiritual growth. It's not that big a deal. And, and, and let anybody dare and come tell me that I'm a sinner. Because I know their sins too. I'm in class with them. I'm on a team with them. I'm at their house. I've seen the things they do. I've seen the way they treat their parents. I've heard the way they talk. I've seen the way they act. That's, that's how we live our life a lot of times. And, and like most things, Jesus has shown us another way. A better way. If you want to turn in your Bible to Matthew 18, that's where we're going to be in just a moment. Uh, if you want to put your finger there. Um, in so many areas that, that we kind of live day to day. It's going to be Matthew 18, uh, verse 15. There, there's things that, that Jesus shows us this isn't the right way. That's what we're going to look at tonight in Matthew chapter 18. We don't like to think that someone we know could be the snake in the den. Or, you know... God forbid that we're the snake in the den. We don't like to think about that. We, we like to think, well, we're better than that. And, and the things that we do aren't a part of that. And that doesn't count to sin. And that's not that bad. But Jesus says it's going to happen. And he shows us that when there is a snake in the den in the church, when there's someone in the church claiming to, to be with Christ, to live with Christ, to love with Christ, that isn't living that way, there's something we can do, and that, 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 that involves leading with love in those actions. And so, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18, there's a little part called dealing with sin in the church. Uh, it's pretty just blatant right there. And so, uh, verse 15, it says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. That doesn't sound very nice. You know what it doesn't say, though? It doesn't say when someone sins, put them on blast. It doesn't say when someone sins... Tweet about it. Put it on your snap story. It doesn't say when someone sins, make sure you tell everybody else about it. Make sure you make them feel bad for it. No, Jesus gives clear instruction. So in verse 15, he says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you have won them over. Jesus says, if someone sins, go and talk to them. Go and be honest with them. Go and tell them, listen, that... There's a sin happening in your life, and you may not recognize it, and, and, and I don't want to be a part of walking with you in that. And Jesus says that they listen, great, good job, high fives and smiles all around. It's good. Next, what if they don't listen? Here's what he says. He says, if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And the Jewish world, um, ha having two witnesses to something, having two accounts of something, made it true. So, that, so that's where that, that specific instruction comes from. So it's not just arbitrary. It, it, that, that's something they would have understood. Hey, this is about having an uh, honest and, and good um, account of what's happening. So it says, take two people with you. 
If, if they don't listen, get a couple other people, one or two other people together, let them know what's going on, and then approach the person again, the person who, who's got the thing going on. Let them know, hey, you know, you and I talked about this. You didn't seem um, like you really understood what I was saying, or maybe that you were ready to, to repent, and so I've told um, you know, these other two folks about that and, and want to talk with you about that a little bit more. The point being that, that you have some people who can back up your account of what's going on, right? This person can't just say, hey, David came to me and said this, this, and this, and that's not true, and here's what's really going on. I've got two people with me now that can say, oh, that's not what happened. I was there. I heard the conversation. Now, now what if they still won't listen and, and won't stop? Now you really, really get to lay into them. This is what Jesus says. It says that they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And that they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So if they won't listen to you, you get a couple other people together, tell them what's going on, then you approach the person. If they won't listen to you and these two or three other people, you go, you go to the church and say, listen, this is what's happening. That's why you have those two witnesses. Hey, these folks were there with me. This is what happened. They can tell you, you know, you can separate us, tell the story separately, whatever. This is what's happening. We feel like this person has sinned, is sinning, is unrepentant in sin, needs to be called to account for that, needs to get right with God, and we want the church to be a part of that. Those are the first couple steps, and the last step says that if they won't listen even to the church, if the body comes together and says, hey, we know this is what's happening, we have the evidence, we know what's going on, and you have refused to repent and make your life right with Christ, says you treat them as a tax collector or a pagan. Which doesn't sound like a fun way to treat somebody. Do you know what that means? It means you treat them with love. We look at that and read that and go, yeah, the tax collectors in, in Jesus' day were crap. They were, they were taking all the, all the money from the Jewish folks. Um, you know, not, not just the whatever taxes they owed to Rome. Um, but some extra just for themselves. You can, you can see that in the story of Zacchaeus. But what does Jesus do in the story of Zacchaeus? What's that? Yeah, Zacchaeus climbs in the tree. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Anybody? Yeah, it's a great song. But Jesus goes and eats with him. He goes into his house. He doesn't say, Zacchaeus, everything you're doing is okay. He goes and eats with him and he says, Zacchaeus, what you're doing is wrong. And so when Jesus says treat them as a tax collector or a pagan, he doesn't mean cut off all communication. He doesn't mean treat them poorly. He doesn't mean tell everybody about what an awful person they are. He means continue to love them. Now they may not get to participate in some of the actions of the church because unrepentant sin moves us apart from God. There's things that we can't do with the body of Christ when we're not right with Christ. When there's snakes in the den, we lead with love and we approach those people with love when they, when they are unrepentant because it's what Jesus did and it's what Jesus instructed us to do. So what are you supposed to do when someone you know is sinning? Is out there sinning, no regard for, for, for how they're living, how they're acting, who they could be hurting. And what are you supposed to do when someone comes to you and says, you're the one that's sinning out of hand? You're the one 
that's been cussing up a storm and giving a bad witness to Christ everywhere you've been for the last 20 years? How are you supposed to react? What are you, what are you supposed to say? What are you supposed to do? So let's say you're the person talking to the snake in the den. Right? I, I got to tell you guys, that there's going to be times in your life and in your faith walk that you're going to be both people. This is going to happen. Okay, so, so if you're the person going to talk to the snake in the den, the person with sin in their life, something going on, you need to spend some time praying before you do it. I wouldn't have been open to Brian coming to me at work and saying, hey, um, I see some sin in your life, something's going on, and I'd love to talk to you about it. If God hadn't already been working in my heart over the last couple weeks about that, that issue. So if you know something's going on in somebody's life and, and um, there, there's sin going on and you want to approach them about it, spend a day or two praying, God, God, please be working in their heart. God, please bring this to their mind that they would see this is something that, that you want to correct in their life. Okay? Spend some time praying, preparing yourself and hopefully that person through prayer that they will be open to, to what God wants to do in their life through the words you say. But you need to be prepared that they could get mad. You need to be prepared that they could get mean. And some of that defensiveness that we talked about earlier could come up. When you approach them with love, you don't get defensive back. Right? You say, hey, hey um, I noticed this going on, and then they start listing off you know, three or four things that you've done, some sin you've committed that, that, that maybe they've seen or whatever. You give them the opportunity to be heard. And you give them honesty and you give them truth. Because that's how you give love. You may say, you know what, you're right, absolutely. That's not what we're here to talk about right now. We're here to talk about this thing, and we need to have that conversation right now. Now maybe you're the snake. Maybe you're the person who's treated people poorly, who's had a poor attitude, who's not given a great witness for Christ in, in the way you've... Uh, handled yourself at school or the way you've treated a parent. You need to spend some time now praying and asking God to identify those things in you. Scripture says and we're supposed to pray and ask God to search our heart. Help us identify sin that's going on in our life. You need to be, you need to be ready to be approached by someone else in love. You need to begin now to prepare yourself for that. The next thing you need to do um, is, is be ready to stand there in your wrongness and be wrong. Okay? Again, you're, you're going to have that urge to be defensive and to say, listen, you did this. You said this. You acted this way. You were with this person. You did this thing. And I'm going to beg you to fight that urge. Because that is not an urge from Christ inside you. That is an urge of yourself saying, I am better than this person. I am better than what Christ wants in my life. None of us are better than what Christ wants in our life. So you fight that urge and, and you be willing to have somebody come to you in love and say, this is what I'm seeing in your life. I'm not saying there's not a time and a place where you may need to address that same friend that came to you, but that time is not the time and place for that. None of us wants to be the snake in the den. It's incredibly uncomfortable to be the person going to talk to the person we're identifying as a snake. We get nervous. 
We, we, we hear that voice in the back of our head that says, you've done that. You've been there. You acted this way. But in both positions, when we are the snake, when we're approaching the snake, when there's a snake in the den, we've got to lead with love. We get the opportunity to be different in the world. Y'all, we do. We sit around and, and name call and belittle and tattle and, and you know gossip and this person did this and this person said this and never approach the other person to seek God's best in their life. We're not leading with love. And we're no better than people who don't know Jesus. We're not living any differently than people who don't know Jesus when we live that way. When there's a snake in the den, we lead with love. We prepare our heart to be loving toward that brother or sister. We ask God to prepare that brother or sister's heart to hear that in love and to be loving in response to us. When we can let love lead us to sharing with a brother or sister in Christ that something they're doing is anti-Christ, when we can lead with love and be open to hearing from someone that we're sinning and doing things that, that, that Christ has not called us to or we're actively working against those things, when these things start to change who we are and how we live and how we inhabit our space and how our community looks and interacts, this goes from uh, so, you know, a big, hey, we've got to talk, we've got to sit down, we've got to work this out, knock down, drag out, to, to the next time, just a reminder of, hey, you, you, know, you, you did this again, I just want to remind you, you know, be, be seeking Christ that you're not doing that, to being in a situation where it's just a shared look. Something that, go, that can go from being a big, nasty, ugly thing all the way down to something that's just, hey, just a simple, easy, loving correction that's not from us, it's from Christ, allowing Christ to live in us and, and to approach our brother or sister that's when people begin to see that Jesus wants to love and be around snakes. People in the New Testament that you read stories about that were so, uh, that were so enthralled with Jesus, it's because he went and had lunch with Zacchaeus. He sat down with tax collectors and prostitutes and lepers, and, and people thought, well, that is weird and different. And Jesus became irresistible. When you and I begin to live that way, Jesus becomes irresistible to the people we interact with every day. When we lead with love, Jesus becomes irresistible to the people that we know who don't know Christ. 